0: Hey everyone, Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I speak to Amber Shaw. She's a health and wellness coach, a recognized authority in this area, all about her hormonal fat loss blueprint. These are four pillars that help a woman understand how best to approach diet and lifestyle as we head into our 40s and beyond. So we talk about blood sugar regulation, exercise, stress management, and flexible intermittent fasting. Now, fasting gets a bit of a bad rap, partly from me, actually. Uh, But it's more how people often do things in a way which doesn't help improve their overall sort of health outcomes and body composition and how they feel and amber and i talk about the best way to approach intermittent fasting to enable you to achieve results and not be worse off for it so um this is a fun interview i think you're really gonna love it And for those of you unfamiliar with Amber, she is a mind and body transformational expert and founder of The Wellness Revolution, which is a leading global movement for thousands of women over 40, empowering them to rediscover their confidence and recreate a lifestyle that is effortless and sustainable. So as a recognized authority in the health and wellness industry, and a motivational speaker, Amber coaches women all across the world on achieving sustainable weight loss without dieting their way through life. She is a board-certified health and wellness coach, certified personal trainer, and her insights have been featured in numerous media outlets such as NBC, Fox, CBS, and other digital media platforms. So I think you're really going to love this. I'll put links to where you can find Amber. and She's a podcast host as well. Her podcast is great. I absolutely love it uh, in the show notes. And just before we kick off, I'd like to remind you that the best way to support this podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. That increases the visibility of the podcast out there and it makes the literally thousands of other podcasts. So more people get the opportunity to learn from the guests that so generously sort of donate their time to helping us understand better health factors that impact our lifestyle. Alright, team, enjoy this interview with Amber Shore. Awesome, amazing. Okay, so Amber, so great to have you here. Thanks so much for taking the time. And most health coaches and nutrition coaches who are really effective in what they do in that sort of transformation space, often they have their own personal transformation story. Mm. And I know that um, you fall into this camp and you're able to sort of take and integrate your own experience with your knowledge and your background to provide the most effective service. So can you just... Share a little bit about your own story and what inspired you to do what you do now.
1: Yes, I would love to because you're right. I mean, it is so much the the cornerstone of 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 how I teach, and the foundation of how I teach is not only uh, through just my knowledge and certifications and all of that, but even before that, it was really just my experience and the way that I lived my life and how what I overcame and how I changed my life. And actually at an older age, I mean, at around the age of 40 is when my life really shifted. And so it really kind of started for me when I was um, a little girl, you know, from the age of about nine years old, I can remember having this sinking yet overwhelming feeling that the body that I was in just wasn't good enough. Meaning like, you know, I was never an overweight child, but I was an athletic kid. I was tall. And just from a combination of having different female figures in my life, you know, unknowingly and, and, and in love, it was never out of, you know, being mean or anything like that. That just didn't know any better, but just making comments about my physical body, right. That maybe I was bigger or like, I, you know, just certain things that, you know, as a nine-year-old little girl, I mean, it just, it was very hurtful. And so, and then the other part of that was just being in that culture. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 44, so I was born in 79 and in the early eighties, I mean, good God, diet culture was in full swing. Right. And so we didn't have these body body positivity movements. There was, there was, there was such a lack of awareness to, um, you know, uh, of how we, uh, you know, speak in front of like little girls and like really the important, the emphasis. There was a lack of like emphasis on raising girls to be proud of their bodies, to be athletic, to be strong. Uh, you know, it's much different than it is now. And so I can just remember growing up in a time where, yeah, I did see my mom on the scale all the time. I did see ants and, fig, you know, and TV commercials and just all of it, like constantly criticizing their bodies. And so, for me, you know, that was a message that was deeply ingrained in my subconscious from a very, very early age. And so how this kind of progressed for me was I can remember starting my first calorie restricted diet when I was about 14. I I didn't even know what a calorie was. Like I literally, though, just knew that I wasn't supposed to have very many of them. Like that's it. So everywhere I went, I was always like looking at what's like the lowest calorie thing I could eat. Right. And and simultaneously i was just always atta- i was just really attaching so much of my worth to the external right it was like i felt like if you know if i was wanted if i was desired if people thought i was pretty if like then then i was okay and i just didn't realize um just really the slippery slope that i was going down because when i was in my early twenties, um, that really, really progressed to bulimia. Uh, and I was, you know, actively participating in bulimia and I was just, I was just a very, very sad, sad girl. And so fortunately I had the wherewithal and like the, I had the resources to get help getting, uh, you know, to heal from bulimia, but you know, I didn't realize at the time. The thing is is that I I was able to stop the physical act of throwing up, like I and the bingeing and the purging, but I didn't do anything to really work on the mindset piece. I didn't really do anything. You know, the therapy didn't really get to the root cause of my worthiness issues, of my abandonment issues. You know, my parents divorced at a very young age. Like I, like I didn't get to the I didn't get to my origin story. I just sort of like slapped a band aid on it. I just slapped a band-aid on it and just kept going. And at this point at like 23, you know, 23, 24, like this is now this way that I I look at my body, the constant criticizing, the constant you know, mental calculations of every morsel of food I'm putting into my body, the exercising twice a day, the the doing every single 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 diet on the planet, like this is just becoming like a way of life for me. Like this is at this point, like this is just my life. And so fast forward to, you know, my early 30s, I had two kids and with both pregnancies, I gained about 65, 70 pounds, um, which is is not a healthy amount of weight to gain. And I gained it really fast. I mean, I was on bed rest with my first baby um, and that's because my blood pressure was so high. And the reason why is because from years and years of just constant restricting, because constantly being on a diet, I really did use the nine months as like basically an all-out binge. It was like, that was sort of my like, I basically had a, I call it the case of the efforts, you know, efforts when you're like, forget, like I've already, I've already messed up on my diet. I might as well just keep going, right? Like I know some of the listeners are probably like, yes, I know I've said that to myself many times. Um, and I basically had a case of the F for nine months with both pregnancies. Um, and so I did lose the weight with both ba- after both babies, but it was super unhealthy. Like I was really going back because it like set me into a tailspin when I no longer was pregnant and had the excuse that I was pregnant to be carrying around all of that weight. I mean, I can remember the most traumatizing, and this is so crazy looking back, but this is just how broken I was. I can just remember like... I was so the, the most traumatizing like moment for me at that time, and it just sent me into because I was so unhealthy. It sent me into such a tailspin. I can remember I was so tight; I had nothing to wear because nothing was fitting me. I couldn't fit into the maternity stuff because I wasn't pregnant anymore, and that just wasn't fitting. I couldn't fit into all my old clothes, and so I had to go to this. I had to go to the mall and buy some stuff, and I had to buy some clothes that were like I don't know four sizes too big, and like that I normally would wear, and. I mean, you would have thought like somebody died. I mean, I was just, it was terrible. The self-loathing and the hating and the disappointment and the way I spoke to myself and how disgusted I felt with myself. I mean, it's just crazy. I literally just had a baby, but still it just that carrying around that kind of weight just really, really was hard for me. And so I did lose the weight, but I lost it very fast and very unhealthy uh, because I was in such a tailspin. And so, again, then it just kind of went back to normal life, right? Well, fast forward to uh, when I was turning 40, um, I was, at this point in my life, I, I, from the outside looking in, my life was very picturesque. I was crushing it in my sales career. At that point, I'd had a sales career for about... 16 years I was making multiple six figures doing well I could do it in my sleep um and I was married to a, a super attractive uh, you know attorney very successful we'd been best friends since I was 7 years old uh you know we were like the perfect couple two beautiful healthy children everything was perfect but it wasn't perfect actually at all from the inside looking out my life was a total freaking mess like i my marriage was falling apart I was on like the brink of divorce, it was crumbling right before me. I was so unhappy in my job because I knew in my core that I was just made for so much more, but I I felt stuck and I didn't know what to do. And so I was very unsatisfied in my job, um, and ultimately I was very unhappy with myself. I mean, this is just years and years of like abusing my body and abusing myself with the way I spoke to myself, the constant criticism. And I was just tired. I was tired of living like that. And so you couple all of that combine all of that with I was just getting ready to turn 40, okay was so a big birthday coming up. And I really decided to um, I needed to spend some time like just getting quiet with myself and really like figuring out what are my next steps. And so in life, right? like I was like, I'm turning 40, like what do I want my next 40 years to look like? And so I decided for my 40th birthday to take a trip to Costa Rica and it was a yoga retreat and my intention on the trip was actually to get a little clarity on um what I wanted to do with my with my career and i when I came back from that trip with just some just some real really kind of um just a true understanding of where we're supposed to go next, I was sitting on a beach in Costa Rica, and I was meditating, and I was just asking God, like what like what is my next step?" And I just started like writing down like, what are what are things I'm good at? What do I like? What do you like? you know? And then it was just like all of a sudden it was like the word "coach" just hit me. And in that moment, like if you've ever had, you know, if you're listening to this and you know, and even you, Mickey, if you know, like you've ever had a moment where you just know it in your core, right, that 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 was like a divine intervention, or you just know with every fiber of your being that 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 was, um, you know, that that was a direct message. And I just knew. And in that moment, I knew, and I just, I felt God saying to me, like all of you, the like all of this that you're going through right now, Amber, is like not in vain. Like this, like, oh, you have the ability now to take all this pain and all of this like self healing. Cause at that point, too, I'd been doing a lot of therapy work, like to try and heal my marriage and like all of these things. You know, you have the opportunity now to turn that pain into purpose. And, and that, you know, I really walked away feeling like, you know, spirit has my back. And so I, I'm a doer, like I am definitely a doer, so I listened to it and I immediately came back and I enrolled in a year-long integrative nutrition program and I wasn't exactly sure what it was going to like exactly look like as far as the coaching was concerned. I knew I wanted to coach women, Um, but as I started going through, well, let me back up and say this, I knew I wanted to coach women, but... There was no way at that point that I was ever going to coach women on anything to do with like, like weight loss or fitness or like any of that, because I was so messed up in my own like stuff that for me, that was terrifying because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to constantly be on display. Like no way would I ever do any like photos of me, like in a sports bra. Like I'm not doing any of that. Like no way. Um and so I was like no I'm not doing that and and I will say that as I started my year long program and I later then got board certified in health coaching I really started, things started to change for me. I started to look at food differently. I started to learn about nutrition and health and wellness from more of a holistic, um, you know, uh, viewpoint, more, you know, diving more into like integrative medicine and functional medicine. And, and I was really fascinated by all of that. And so it really just started, I started to heal my relationship with food too. And I really drew a line in the sand that I wasn't going to diet anymore. Um, and. And so, I, basically, I, I launched my business right around uh, right before the pandemic hit. I didn't realize that that's like was the, the best time to do it. Apparently, and I mean, not for this in the state of the world, but it, for a lot of online people, um, that you know that was a that was a good time to be in that position to be able to help people from remotely. And so, I was already set up for that. And so, yeah, I um, you know the pandemic hit, and I I was really started leaning into. Um, helping women over 40 in their health and yeah. wellness. Um yeah. and that's really just sort of how it all all came together for me. Yeah. You know, Amber, I think so many aspects
0: of your origin story people will relate to and will resonate with because so many of us, like you, like, are in that over 40s. We had mothers who, as you say, you always saw your mum on the scale. Like I, like I went on my first diet with my mum when I was like 13 because as a twin, I was always the bigger twin, you know, and I very much mimicked and looked like my mum in that sort of aspect. So it was really normal, but it was almost, this will sound well, I'm not sure weird, but it was like a bonding experience for us because I actually didn't have a lot in common with my mum other than the fact that we both were bigger, you know, and so this was something I could do with her and spend time with her and it's not – and you're right, like it was never – we didn't have the knowledge back then that that could be detrimental to how we saw ourselves. And so you can't blame, we absolutely yeah. can't blame our parents for that. Right. But it's, um, I think so many people will will resonate with that. And, and your feeling of being stuck. I talk to so many women who are absolutely in that space as well. Either it's stuck with their, with um, typically actually, and I have heard you talk about this, that they are crushing it in every other aspect of their life, but it's their diet and their exercise where they're constantly feeling like they're failing.
1: Yeah, no. So this this is, I mean, the the thing is, is what people don't realize is those two things are actually directly related. And here's why. It's because... Women typically who are crushing it in all other areas of their life, they are the go getters. They are probably doing very well in their job. They have, you know, successful family life, whether or not they have children or not. Um, But what comes along with that, with just kind of the the personality type, is that perfectionist mentality. And so, right. And so we develop this all or nothing. We have this all or nothing mentality in all areas of our life. That's just the way. In fact, I've always said, I'm like, I, my name is like Amber balls to the wall Shaw. Like that is who I am. Like that's how I operate. Um, but so that's not, that's not a coincidence. We, so when we, when we're like that and we, our personality again, high achievers, We also have this mentality when it comes to our nutrition, this all or nothing mentality. And at the end of the day, that actually is what keeps people stuck. That mentality that you have to be perfect, it's the all or nothing. That's what keeps you starting over on a Monday. That's what keeps you... Eating well all week long and then, and then, you know, falling apart maybe on the weekend because you maybe you've been white knuckling it all week long with your nutrition, you know, not listening to your cravings, you know, just, uh, not feeling satisfied, feeling hungry maybe. And so then eventually, because willpower is a muscle that fatigues, you go all in and now you feel like you failed, right? Because you demand perfection and then you go right, you start right back over. So it's like, that is, that is so people just miss that. I think a lot of women miss that, that that is, that can be be, the thing that actually is your strength can also be kind of one of your weaknesses, especially when it comes to nutrition and exercise. If you are caring, you know, having that all or nothing mentality. Absolutely. And
0: I certainly notice that with people I work with that the people who are much more comfortable in that sort of gray zone, you know, yes. not that they're just a little bit more chill, they actually, they respond so much better to diet and exercise sort of interventions, if you like, because they recognize that you don't have to be perfect in life, actually, you, that, that's the consistency of what you're doing is actually, is the main uh, sort of thing that keeps someone successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about, it's not about, you know, diets teach us uh, about perfection, right? Because if you think about it, a diet, like there's no room for error. If you're trying to, you know, count your adhere to a calorie count of, you know, 1,500 calories or whatever, uh, you know, exact. There, there's no room for error for that. You're supposed to hit 1,500 calories, right? Or like your macros, you're supposed to hit your macros exact, right? Or if you're like lose, you know, 10 pounds in eight weeks, like there's no room for error. But when you're talking about an actual lifestyle where you're not on a diet, you're, you know, you're not being super restrictive. You are, you know, making good choices the majority of the time, right? And that is actually what's sustainable. It doesn't require perfection. It requires you to be consistent most of the time over time. I mean, that's that's what that is. Yeah, that's the requirement, not perfection. Yeah. But diets don't teach us that. Yeah.
0: No. Now I've got a question. It's absolutely related, but a little bit of a tangent. You mentioned body positivity. You know, these messages weren't around when we were younger. Nowadays, everyone's all about body positivity and I absolutely love it to a point. Same.
1: I know where you're going with this and I'm like, I'm with you. We're tracking. I'm with you on this.
0: Yeah, and I just you know there's actually a lot of backlash these days against people like us who want to counsel people in eating better to improve their body composition. Like I talk to a lot of women who almost feel ashamed that they want to change their body, that they're not happy with their body. So, what are your thoughts on that, Amber? Do, is obviously, you see the same sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, in fact, it's so funny. I was, I had a, I did a podcast interview on uh, on my show not that long ago with the neuroscientist, and we we're uh, talking about. I'm um, not a neuroscientist, neurologist, and we were talking about we were talking about the same thing. And we, we what we both said uh, is that I am not on board with pod, body positivity when you are ignoring like health markers, right? Like there yes. is science behind you know the different markers, like your blood pressure and your A one C and like your cholesterol, and it's not a secret typically. P- and it's not and It's not in all cases. You can also be what people call like, you know, skinny and unhealthy, right? You can still be skinny mm. and have high cholesterol. But there is, it, there is like research and science that shows that your risk for having those, you know, um, those unhealthy markers are higher when your body fat percentage is higher, right? Like when you, especially if you're falling into that obese category, or if you are, again, just... You know, if you, your body fat percentage is up, and you're carrying, especially like a lot of visceral fat, right? Like you know, which is super dangerous and super unhealthy. And so, I just think that, like, body positivity. Um, yes, I am all for it, right? Like loving our our bodies and being confident, and because I do feel like confidence is an inside job, and like all of those things. But like, however. You know, it is not about um, ignoring like science. It's not about ignoring health. I think we like confuse the two. You don't have to have a six pack, right? But if you're walking around with a ton of belly fat and it's that deep visceral fat, that's actually freaking dangerous to your health. So, like, don't don't. I think that body positivity and I'm maybe I'm gonna get some fire for this. I don't know, but if only if it's taken out of context, I guess. But I think you know body positivity. um, I just think is a It can be a a lazy excuse if you're not using it for the right reasons, right? Like if you, I think that that can, and so I just think it's, we have to be careful with, I just think, I also think too people, I think people use it to their advantage or use it in the wrong way. Again, body positivity was not started as a movement to be unhealthy and 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 be okay with it. They're two totally different things. Um, I think the body positivity and the way I take it is that, yeah, bodies do come in all shapes and sizes. And again, you don't have to be a size two or a size four. I mean, you can still be healthy and be a size 10 or a 12. I mean, like that's not... But... It's not about ignoring, again, those super important health markers. I think that's really dangerous. Absolutely.
0: And I, I totally am on the same page. And the other thing is people conflate loving your body with loving yourself. And I think you can really like yourself and and love yourself, but, what, but not necessarily love how you were looking or how you were feeling at the same time, you know? So it's that, you know, I think it's really important to really... Back yourself and have that self confidence and and like yourself, but also you don't necessarily have to love the stage that you're in with regards to you know your body composition and and body fat and the rest of it.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, personal growth can mean something different to everybody, right? And so there's nothing mm. wrong. Nobody should be shamed for having goals, right? If your goal is, hey, you know what, I do. I really, it's my personal goal, like. I love myself regardless. Here's when it gets dangerous. It gets dangerous. And this is where the difference is. If you attach the statement to, I will be happy when I get to 20% body fat, that to me is, you know, again, you are sort of like outsourcing your happiness to something external and that can be dangerous. So I do, I don't think, and I don't think people should be shamed for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with you know, like loving yourself, but then also wanting to, you know, you have goals and better yourself and whatever that looks like for you. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that.
0: Yeah. Nice. Now, Amber, um, I love your podcast, by the way, the wellness revolution. And of course we will link to it in the show notes. And I really want to talk to you about your hormonal fat loss blueprint, which is part of um, sort of a bigger picture that you discussed in these sort of five different shifts that women can make, and the way that you describe it, you've got sort of four pillars that you lean on that help lead to sustainable fat loss for women. And you'll you'll probably be on the same page. I'm imagining about this is that women often think, "Oh, it's my hormones. The reason why I'm not making any sort of ground on my body composition goals or how I'm feeling is my hormones are out of whack." And then, how do I? them? What supplements do I take? Um, what medications can I go on to help improve it? But you talk about four pillars, which we could sort of start thinking of first that help optimize um, sort of hormonal balance and hormonal health for women.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I do think, you know, my who I coach is women 40, 50 and beyond. And that is, you um, you know, absolutely our bodies are changing for sure, right? And so I will tell you that if you are somebody who is struggling with your hormone, I'm sorry, struggling with your weight loss, um, hormones do play a huge piece of it. It's not the only piece, though, right? So I, I always advise clients. Very first step is making sure you are like up to date, at least on your annual like blood work. I mean, getting you know like your thyroid checked, and you know, and and checking you know different different markers are, are super important, just because you could be really doing an uphill battle um, if if your hormones really are unbalanced and you you feel like you're doing everything else right and you're still not seeing movement. So um, that is definitely a big piece of it. But the the reason why I you know, I came up with the the um, kind of my my methodology for teaching and and how I coach nutrition, especially teaching women how to um, build that lifestyle, right? That's effortless and sustainable because that's really what it's all about. I coach women how to lose weight without the dieting, um, and just make it, a, 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 like I said, a, a doable and sustainable lifestyle that works for them. But such a uh, and so I do a lot of like mindset work in a lot of my programs, and we do all that. But there is a definitely a very like tactical part of what I teach, um, which is the Hormonal Fat Loss Blueprint, and it really does kind of sum up um, my approach to, uh, to sustainable weight loss. And it's a very simple approach, you know, the very first pillar that I talk about is, and is eating for, um, blood sugar control. And I'm gonna explain why I teach this because I am not a calorie counting coach. I'm not a macro counting coach. Um, I, that is not the way that I, because for me that the way, you know, I was lived my life, all of that was under the umbrella of diet. And and anytime I'm, I'm forced to track anything or doing it to me, that's very triggering. It feels like a diet. I don't have time for it. I don't want to live like that. Right. And so, you know, what what I found is that when I really started leaning into just, you know, forgetting, not worrying about counting grams and calories and da 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 da, but I just really actually made the very simple approach of just eating less stuff out of a box or a package, focusing on a more whole food nutrition approach, a more balanced approach, I noticed that not only did the weight start coming off more effortlessly. But it just felt more doable. And so the reason, yeah. And so the reason why, from a hormone standpoint, I talk about eating for blood sugar control is because when you do that, it absolutely affects your insulin levels. And insulin is, is known as the fat storage hormone, um, you know, as you know. And, and so when we are really eating to keep our blood sugar more stable, not only is it gonna help with your insulin sensitivity and really just make sure your body is kind of working. Working like a well-oiled machine. But you're also going to notice that your um you know your energy is more stable because you're not experiencing those spikes and then crashes, right? You're going to also notice that your hunger is probably, you know, at bay, right? And all of these things play a role in the, in the choices you make and your ability to to lose weight. And also, you know, if you are somebody which to be honest it, it is, I was I was having this conversation with a physician just the other day on the show is that Insulin resistance is actually something that is more common uh, in women at over 40 than people yeah. realize totally. because of, yeah, because of the life, because of lifestyle, right? Because of a high stress you know, not getting a lot of sleep, you know, eating a lot of sugar, a lot of processed and packaged foods. And so when we constantly have that elevated blood sugar, as you know, um, that absolutely can affect the way that our insulin works, which ultimately without going into too in depth of an explanation of, you know, insulin resistance, it's, you know, that ultimately affects the way you store fat. And so if you have some weight loss goals, um, you really want to be making sure that you're doing everything you can to really, uh, have your insulin regulating in a, in a healthy way. Um, and so one of the ways to kind of keep that in check is to eat foods that are going to be less processed, less refined. And again, keep your blood sugar just a little bit more stable. And so the reason, so that's like the big reason from a hormone standpoint, cause here's the thing with hormones too, as you know, you know, hormones are all related, right? They're, they're especially like cortisol insulin, like they are, they, they go, you know, they go back to back with each other. Right. And so when, and you even the sex hormones, progesterone, estrogen, like they're all related. And so when one is way off, it can absolutely throw the rest off. Right. And so I think sometimes we can, as women, we can get so focused on like just estrogen and progesterone and we kind of ignore like cortisol, the stress hormone, We but we just don't realize how much of an impact it's actually having on our other hormones as well. But the other thing why I really like to kind of simplify things for women when it comes to our nutrition is because number one, it doesn't have to be that complicated. We have like diet culture is way overcomplicated nutrition, right? But I, but what I have found, because people ask me all the time, how do you coach weight loss when you don't like ask, like you don't have women track? Like how is that even possible? And I do focus on portions and it's also about focusing on like your quality of food. But what I've noticed is that when you start to just reduce stuff in a box or a package, you start to reduce like pay attention to your added sugars, right? And you kind of like go about your nutrition through the lens of keeping your blood sugar more stable you are going to most likely go into a little bit of a caloric deficit because you're, you are ruling out a lot of the garbage, a lot of the calorie dense garbage that can really, you know, blow your caloric intake. Um, and so I find that you don't need to count and track when you're just eating, you know, plus you're going to reduce inflammation in the body. Your detoxification pathways are going to improve, you know, all of these things matter when it comes weight loss, right? So that that's my first pillar and why that's really kind of the very, if you're listening to this and you've got some weight loss goals, I can tell you like even taking just that very first step yeah. of starting to notice how like the amount of added sugars you're taking in, an, in a day can be a massive game changer. And just to give you a point of reference for w- women, most women, it's under 25 grams of added sugar. And if you start really paying attention to your labels, you're going to notice that adds up really quickly. And for me, yeah, I just decided, like, I'm like, I don't need sugar in my salad dressing and my ketchup and my, you know, sugars in everything, right? And when you start really paying attention, I'm like, I would rather save my sugar intake for like chocolate during the day, right? And so, um, so yeah, so that that's a very big like first step. Um, so that's my first pillar. And I love
0: it. And I think a couple of um, things which I was thinking about as you were would- you were describing that is a lot of women think they don't get a lot of sugar in their diet because they think about their Monday through Thursday diet, but they don't think about what goes on in the weekend. And that almost always, for a lot of women who are struggling with their weight, it's the uh, it's that sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday where things might just go a little bit off the rails, and it's far more often than what they think it is and it's far more food or far more sort of sugar or junk than what they think it is as well and I think that's certainly something which I notice in in my clients and added um I mean when you put sort of alcohol in the mix as well not that you know I love a wine so and I love a craft beer so it's not not totally against alcohol or anything like that but it does impact on food decisions and also how your body processes the nutrients that it's eating
1: yeah, and one I was going to say too is I think where, where a lot of women underestimate the amount of sugar that they're eating is also because they don't think about the hidden sugar. So that's what I'm talking about with like the hidden sugars in bread and, you know, different cereals and, you know, different condiments and salad dressings. I mean, so there when people are like, I don't eat a lot of sugar, they're just thinking about like cookies and yes, like the obvious ones. But once you really start educating yourself about how much hidden sugars are actually in a lot of the food we eat it's a really big eye-opener for sure. Totally. And the other thing is
0: that insulin isn't a hormone that's regularly tested, at least in labs here in New Zealand, you know? They always sort of go for the second cab off the rank, which is your A1c or HbA1c and even fasting glucose. But very seldom, like you have to ask for insulin to be tested, but you could look like you've got good sugar control, but you have no idea what's going on in the background as well. So what are some signs that you see, Amber, that that might indicate that someone might have some sort of issue with blood sugar regulation?
1: I mean, the biggest one that I, you know, that I see in my practice, and it's like I can always just spot it from a mile away, is it's like if we've been at a pretty good rhythm for you know several weeks of eating pretty healthy and like minimizing a lot of this processed foods and all of that, and it is just nothing is happening. I mean, that is like my first and like you're just not seeing any movement. It's like my first thing is like I wonder if you've got some insulin you know resistance going on. And one thing to know about insulin resistance, I think what a lot of people miss is that. um, you know, there is a spectrum of insulin resistance. So like at its highest, right, it's like, we're talking type two diabetic, right? But like, you can still have some insulin resistance going on because it's almost like it, cause it, it compounds, right? Like it, it, like eventually it can get to that, but it's definitely a spectrum. So it can fly really way under the radar for a lot of um for a lot of women but that to me is that is the biggest one that i see is it's just like if they're really like they are doing all the right things sleeping getting exercise you know um and and really cleaning up their diet and just nothing has happened also a lot of times too if there's um like an excess of like a lot of belly fat going on and i i know menopausal like if you know menopausal women can also get that as well but if you and here's the other thing I want to say, actually, what's interesting is that, you know, in menopausal women, actually, their chances of insulin resistance actually increases, mm. you know, because as estrogen and progesterone drop, that can affect um, your insulin as well. So it's just, it is, you know, it, it, they all go kind of hand in hand. And so, yeah, like the inability to lose weight is usually, it's, it's usually a big one. Yeah, no, that's that's great,
0: and so which actually leads really nicely into your second pillar, which and I love this, your flexible intermittent fasting. And what I love about this, Amber, is that a lot of times women are told they absolutely cannot fast. It's almost like set in stone. No, women aren't allowed to fast. It's too stressful on them, and and there's you know you you just it's not an option. Whereas you approach it in like a just a different way and how you talk about it is just much more um, open-minded, I think.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I mean, my, my biggest thing is, and the reason why I talk about it is flexible intermittent fasting is because, um, you know, it, the most very most important thing is that you don't treat intermittent fasting like a diet. Yeah. It is not a diet. And what I mean by that is that you never let the clock trump how you're feeling. So I, you know, I, I am always a, a really big fan and and how I coach my clients. It's like the, one of the cool things about intermittent fasting is because it is just a scheduled way of eating. Right. And yes, your body does get a little more regulated and like get into the rhythm of it when you can be consistent with it, but it's never supposed to be like a white knuckling thing where it's like, Oh my God, it's 10 o'clock and I'm starving. I I can't eat. I can't eat, Wait until eat until my app goes off and says I can eat at noon. Like mm. that. That's when when women fail at it because it feels like a diet, and it doesn't have to be like that. You know, I got asked the other day, can you intermittent fast all week and then not fast on the weekends? Well, sure you can. You're not going to mess anything up. Yes. Like again, I find that when you I fa- I intermittent fast seven days a week just because my body has now gotten into the rhythm of it and just what works for me. But like, would I screw anything up if I like? You know, if I if I didn't do that, if I did didn't fast on the weekend, the answer is absolutely not, right? So there is more flexibility in it than people realize, and one of the benefits of that I talk about. With intermittent fasting. Uh, Again, this goes back to hormonally, um, what it can do to improve your insulin sensitivity. Not only are you giving your body a break, you know, digestively, um, which is important for the gut and the microbiome, I think can can super be really helpful. Um, But also it can help to, like I said, improve your insulin regulation. So kind of going back to the hormones. Now, the sweet spot that I really found for women is really between like 14 to 16 hours when they talk about putting too much hormonal stress. Now, everybody's different. So if you have some underlying health conditions, you know, you've got, you know, some, you know, some um, hormone imbalances going on, you always want to check with your physician, but you always... You always also just want to see how you feel. This is why I recommend women start slow, right? Like start off with just a 12-12. Um, I mean, and, and you could get great benefits for just fasting for 12 hours and eating for 12 hours, right? And then slowly work your way up. But I will say I had the uh, the head physician over at Prolon, which is the fasting mimicking company, and, and this is a uh, over in the States. This is a company that was actually paid by the U.S. government to do longevity studies, and this yes. is how the company Prolon came about because uh, it was a government-funded like program, like looking at intermittent fasting and how that ties to longevity and all of that and what he was saying is that really there there the research shows that there is really not there's really not a lot of difference like as far as the benefits between 14 hours and 16 hours yeah um and so there's no need for you to like white knuckle it to 16 hours like if you if you're by, like yeah, you, you know if you're trying to maybe reduce your calories in your day and you want to do 16 like that's okay but um do, you're not really getting a lot of like benefits from like the fasting standpoint right so that's really when I talk about flexible intermittent fasting. Um that's what you know the biggest thing again is just not treating it like a diet, always listening to your body. Um and um and just like I said, just allowing yourself to you know recognize your hunger cues and uh and things like that um because treating it like a diet that's where you set yourself up for failure. You do you really do
0: and that's what I love about how you approach it because oftentimes how people tend to do is that if they are they're they perceive that they're not seeing any results, they just want to fast harder and fast longer and move from 16 to 18 to one meal a day. And I think that's when it can go downhill pretty quick.
1: Yes, I agree. And I'll be honest with you. I actually, in my coaching programs, I actually don't even introduce intermittent fasting until much later in the program because this is what I see. Most women over the age of 40 undereat. I can tell you in the hundreds of clients that I've coached, I'm not even joking you. I think I swear to you, I think I've coached like two that were overeating. Most women, because we've been so programmed to, you know, move more, eat less, right? And we keep cutting, get impatient. We keep cutting and cutting and cutting. You know, I don't even introduce intermittent fasting because what I see is that if you are already under eating, like I'm talking under 1200 calories a day, then you go to intermittent fast. Now you're grossly under eating like six, 700, 800 calories a day. And as you know, I mean, that's terrible, not only for your health, but for your metabolism. I mean, for the inflammation in the body, the stress, like hormonally, like all of it. Uh, and so I wait to teach intermittent fasting until I make sure women are eating enough. Yeah, no, that's great. And then also, of course, with the, um, with them just focusing on their whole
0: foods and if they do have blood sugar regulations, it's a much easier ride to then come into intermittent fasting when they've all, they've now got some level of control over their blood sugar too, right?
1: Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So I always like to get women to a little bit of a healthier place before we, we introduce that yeah nice.
0: Um, now with exercise, Amber, what do you see the normal patterns that women uh, sort of engage in exercise in the in the woman that you coach, and how does that impact on on their ability to lose weight or or lose body fat so and and how do you then approach exercise because there this is an area where I see like a lot of um, a lot of yeah things that aren't as helpful as what you would expect.
1: Yeah, so this is, you know, this is definitely my third pillar, which is really exercising for hormone optimization. And I will say that, you know, the pattern that I see, uh, it goes back to that uh, eat less, move more mentality, right? And I think that for so many of us, we think, well, oh my gosh, if I want to lose weight, yeah, I've I've just got to work out more. And I think that especially for women over 40, this actually can work against you, because what women don't realize is that you know cortisol, the stress hormone, which we've already been talking about, we know that that does affect your ability to lose weight. You know your body responds with a cortisol release, a cortisol production release and all of that um, the same way as if it's if you're under emotional stress, if you're under physical stress, like you know, exercise or under eating, or like environmental stress, right, like the toxins we, you know, that the, the that we, you know, different things that we're putting on our skin and just toxins in the, you know, pesticides, toxins in the air, like all of it, right? Your body responds the same way; it thinks it's under attack, right? So it's like cortisol, the stress hormone, um, is designed, is, is it's a good thing if you're being chased by a bear, um, but like, but for most of us, we're just walking around with high levels of cortisol. The Time because we are like overly stressing and overly taxing our bodies in those three areas emotionally, physically, and environmentally. Um, And so, when it comes to exercise, because your body does react the same way, um, as far as that, you know, from a cortisol standpoint, it's really, really important that we are taking care of our bodies as we age. You know, as our estrogen and our progesterone are dropping, it's this is the perfect time to start working in more. Restorative exercise. You know, this is the perfect time to um, start. You know, taking more walks, getting your steps in, doing yoga. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of uh, strength training. I mean, that is everything, especially for women over forty. But um, you don't want to be overdoing it. And so, you know, I always get asked, you know, what what's kind of the protocol for women and exercise over forty? And I always say, like, you can do exactly. What you used, to, you know, what you did in your twenties and thirties, you just have to be taking care of your body. So that means like stretching, right, before and after. So stretching for injury prevention, doing, incorporating some restorative work. You know, like I said, going for that walk, going for the hike, getting some yoga in, and then you know, getting some strength training in as well. So. I don't recommend that women do high intensity workouts more than like three four days a week. Um, it actually can you can uh, like I said it can start to work against you, um, and that stress overload can cause you to uh, hang on to the fat. Yeah, totally. And and
0: often it's a case of sort of under recovering because we. And because what I love about how you approach it is that it's not like you're saying if you're over 40, you are not allowed to do X, Y, Z. It's actually just appreciating. You just might need a little bit more time to recover. You can do what you like, but it's just taking care of yourself as well.
1: Oh, yeah, girl. Listen, I still have a competitive edge in me. When I go to the gym, when I go to my workout classes, you best believe I'm racing those little 20-something-year-olds, and I beat their <laughs> ass all the time, not going to lie. And so, yes, I can still do. Yes, at 44, I'm 44, listen, I'm not trying to back down. But I'm smart about it, right? I, I make sure I get enough protein in my diet to support my, you know, to su- support my, um, uh, you know, the m- muscle growth. And I also make sure that I'm getting enough sleep and I make sure that I'm stretching a dynamic, you know, warm up and I'm doing a cool down. I never skip that. I make sure that I get yoga in once a week. I go for a walk, right? So I just take care of myself and re- give myself. Ample time to recover, so that yeah, when it's time to go, like I'm ready, just like I was when I was 22 years old. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah no, I love it. I I talk to so many women who are doing f 45 in the morning, they're going for a run in the afternoon, no. and they're doing these crazy ass long runs in the weekend, and they're wondering why they feel exhausted and they've got the belly fat and they're losing muscle. And I'm like, unfortunately, that's just not the path to, you know, better health or body composition.
1: No, it's not. I mean, I have a client, perfect example. She came to me and she was doing seven days of CrossFit uh, a week and she took my advice. We backed off that, started doing CrossFit more like four days a week. She started incorporating yoga uh, and she lost like 8% body fat. It was something wild. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, And it's, she was doing less, but just working out, but giving her body more rest time um, and, and she saw better results. So, yeah. yeah.
0: And I think this does lead into your last pillar about stress management. I have to say, and I, I bet you that we'll be on the same page with this as well. Women aren't very good at knowing when they're stressed. And in fact, unfortunately, they, they, uh, equate sort of that, um, going out for a run or doing F45, that is part of their stress management, not recognizing the potential negative sort of impact that it can have.
1: Oh uh, Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that we, you know, we are, it, it's almost like because for so many of us, you know, kind of the culture now is that women, especially high achieving women, we are wearing so many hats all the time that this like kind of this stress overload, it just becomes like our norm. It just becomes like our baseline, right? And so we don't even realize. Um, and so some of the things that maybe can be some dead giveaways are like, are you sleeping? right? Like if you're not sleeping uh, well, then that could be a dead giveaway that you are like overtaxed. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, stress mitigation, this goes back to kind of a little bit, like you said, what we were talking about before with like exercise and cortisol and all of that. This is just such a huge one that I think that we 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 get so tunnel vision on like if we've got some health and wellness goals on just our nutrition and just our food but i think the bigger picture that so many people miss is almost like uh, focusing on the nutrition and the exercise is almost like putting the cart before the horse, because I got to tell you, if you're not in a place in your life where you, where you are, you know, you feel organized, you feel happy, you feel joy, you feel like you're not so like balls to the wall all the time going 90 miles an hour, like... Your nutrition and fitness are always going to suffer. So, like, stop trying to focus on the nutrition and fitness. And how about you just focus on getting organized? Yeah. How about you focus, right, on getting some better sleep? Um, because all of those things impact your decisions um, when it comes to nutrition and exercise, like on the daily. I mean, think about it. If you're walking around stress at the time and the story you've created for yourself is I don't have time to work out, right? Or I don't have time to go to the grocery store or whatever that looks like, what's going to suffer? Like your nutrition and your exercise, right? So I just think that, you know, so that's sort of why stress mitigation is such a huge piece of it because I think We, you know, I think women know, like, okay, we know that we want to reduce stress, but like, it doesn't necessarily mean like taking a bubble bath and getting like a manicure, right? I mean, how about, it could sometimes mean like, just like getting, you know, getting organized in your day and like maybe blocking, you know, setting an alarm in your phone to like plan out your nutrition for the next day, even like five minutes and be like, okay, so tomorrow I'm going, you know, I need to make sure I've got this meeting and I've got this meeting. And so I need to make sure, man, I should make a smoothie before I go into that meeting because I'm, I know I'm going to be hungry. Like just even that level of pre-planning yeah. can make such a huge difference.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And you did mention environmental stress um, earlier when we were discussing sort of cortisol and, and, and just stress in general. So what kind of things, are there people who are more susceptible to the things that we're going to put on our body than others or... Yeah, what is uh what's your go around that?
1: You know, I think that, you know, obviously everybody, you know, every every human body, every body is unique and different and your, you know, your body's detoxification processes can differ, right? Depending on like even like your glutathione levels and, you know, your gut health and so yes, I mean, all of the, you know, your your liver, like all of those things matter, but I think, you know, some of the things as far as I'm environmental is, yeah. I mean, paying attention to a lot of the, um, you know, the the kind of the clean beauty and things you're using on our skin, which is our largest organ and like things like even things like, um, you know, different candles and things that we're breathing in and our air and like, you know, just the different, just really, you can really go like kind of crazy with it. And I don't think there's a need to do that, but I think just being mindful, of maybe making cleaner choices, like you know how products you use to clean your house. Like you don't have to go like completely crunchy granola on this, but just being like mindful um, and maybe starting small. Maybe just starting to sub a few things out, even like your laundry detergent, right? Like maybe going for one that's a little bit cleaner, that's a little more natural. All of these things absolutely affect your, you know, the toxic overload, uh, the toxic load on your body, and that those can be big hormone disruptors. Absolutely. And it's all cumulative. Like the small
0: things here are always going to just be contributing to your overall sort of health state and end goals of living your best, most awesome life.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Yeah. Amber, awesome. Now, can we just finish up by you telling me how people can work with you? Like, are you group
1: coaching? Do you one-on-one? What's the go? Yes. Oh my gosh! I love. Thank you. Um. So yes, right now, um, I have a six-month program. This is the Wellness Revolution Lifestyle, and this is really my uh, my signature program that teaches women um, how to achieve that that holy grail of building the lifestyle that works for you. I think we all want a life of longevity, of good health, and we want it to feel effortless. We want it to work into you know our over overall picture of, of how we want to live our life. We don't want to be on somebody else's program. We don't want to be on somebody else's diet. We don't want to be walking around constantly doing mental calculations with our foods and, and all. And we just want, we want it to be easy. And so I take women through a six month, um, you know, a very small group program um, on how to achieve exactly that. So I'm, I'm really excited about this one. That's awesome.
0: And I know that you've got a ton of free resources and stuff on your website as well. Um, Can you let people know how to find you on Instagram and on the internet? And of course, we'll put links to that in the show notes.
1: Yes, of course. Well, I'm definitely, I'm get up in my DMs over on Instagram. I'm in there every day. It's my favorite way to communicate. Uh, with with uh, with people. So definitely get over there. I'm at Miss Amber Shaw. That's M-S Amber Shaw. And uh, my website is ambershaw.com. And then, of course, I would love for you to tune in to the Wellness Revolution podcast. Um, and uh, we're just talking all things life, of life after 40 over there. Yeah, that is awesome, Amber. And I do love your podcast. It's such a, like,
0: you've got such a great way of like putting stuff across in a really like no BS way, you know? And it's just really yes. practical, good advice. And I found myself just like nodding and agreeing with so much of what you say on there. So um, I loved having this conversation with you. Thanks so much for your time. Okay, hopefully you uh, got some insights out of that and some practical take-homes for you. So as I said, Amber has a podcast. Definitely recommend checking it out and of course check out her hormonal fat loss blueprint also. So next week on the podcast, I speak to Alana Mackay, postdoctoral fellow who has done a ton of research looking at iron metabolism, immune, and diet manipulation. So we talk about all of these things next week on the show. Until then, though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, and on my website, mickeywillardin.com, where you can sign up to one of my plans, book a one-on-one call with me. Don't forget as well that... Mondays Matter in May is coming up at the end of this month so definitely jump on the waitlist if you think that that's something that you're keen to get amongst. Alright team, have a great week.